Well, we are going to uh, finish up a series today that we started way back on Easter Sunday. It was the first Sunday that we began this series called The Hard Sayings of Jesus. We've been talking over the last several weeks about uh, some of the things that Jesus said that might be a little tough for us to get our minds around, our heads around a little bit, uh, a little hard maybe to even understand at times, but mostly hard to just live out. And, And so we've been talking about this since Easter Sunday. If you haven't had a chance to catch up with this series, or maybe you missed a few messages, just go to our website or go to iTunes and and, uh, catch up there. That'd be a a great thing to do, because I think these have been really helpful. At least I hope they've been really helpful for all of us, and I believe that today will be equally the same. Let me say this as we get started. It is Mother's Day, so happy Mother's Day uh, to all of you who are mothers, to all of you who have mothers. We're so glad that you're here today, but let me say this because it's really important. Uh, For some of us, Mother's Day is a really great day. It's a fun day. We we celebrate that. We have a lot of great things going on. But for others, uh, this is not lost on us. We know that today is a tough day. We know that today can be a hard day. We know that there are things that that you're dealing with, things that are hurts and pains and, and different things like that. And so this is not lost on us. And we want you to know that we are glad that you're here today as well. And so we we celebrate you and we walk with you uh, right there where you're at. And so um, let me tell you a story as we get started. Uh, my kids, my daughter, she actually just turned seven years old here, not seven, she's six. She turned six and uh, she turned six years old. Uh, this past week. And so one of the things that she wanted to do with her birthday money is she wanted to buy a Roku box. Now, a Roku box, you don't know, it's like a little streaming device. And so you get, you know, like Hulu and Netflix and Amazon Prime Video and all that stuff like that. Disney Channel, they, they watch Disney Channel mostly. See, my son, he has one in his room. We have one, my wife and I, in our room. And so my daughter, she wanted her own in her room as well so she could watch you know, watch Disney in her room. She's a big girl now, so that's what she wants to do. And so she took her birthday money and she went and she bought a Roku streaming device. Now, number one, think about this for a second. How far have we come, right? Like, I mean, seriously, our six-year-olds are buying streaming devices. Okay, anyway, so she that's what she wanted. So I overheard this conversation between my son and my daughter after she'd gotten home and hooked her up, right? She would come home and Isaiah comes running down the hall and he's like, Daddy, can you, Emerson got a Roku box, and it's different from mine. I was like, really? What's wrong? I don't, what's wrong? It's better than mine. I was like, why is it better than yours? It's not better than yours. It's the exact same thing. It's smaller. Oh, okay, smaller. But it does the exact same thing. Like, it is no different. It does, it streams the same things. It, I mean, it does everything exactly the same. It's literally just in a different piece of plastic. I mean, literally, that's, that's what I'm thinking in my head, right? And he's going on, and he's him and her are kind of talking back and forth, and he's trying to make his case that hers is better than his, and his is trash, and, you know, all of this stuff and everything like that. So we can put it in the trash. I mean, we can, we can take care of that. Right? And so, like, this is, this is going on for a few minutes, and I, I'm thinking to myself, like, this whole time, number one, I'm going, man, I'm preaching on comparison this week. This is going to be awesome. So thank you, Jesus, for that little illustration right there. Now i got something to talk about. But secondly, this is the other thing that came to mind when, when I'm hearing them talk about that. Do you know who the only people who are that are worse at doing that than kids are? Us. Adults. We are way worse at comparison than kids are. Now, don't get me wrong. Kids, they get a little crazy, right? Like you can give two kids, parents, you know how this works. You can give them the exact same toy, but one toy is a different color than the other toy, and neither person are happy until they get the other toy, and then they don't even like that toy. They want something completely different, right? Because everything's about comparison. Everything's about comparison. And you and I, as adults, we are way worse at this. Not only do we 
do it consciously, but we also do this subconsciously. I'll give you a great example of this. It happened to me this morning. I know, like for the past several months, I've known that I'm preaching on comparison today. And so for the last couple of weeks, I've sort of been living in this world of thinking about comparison, preparing for this message and that kind of thing. This morning, I'm driving here, and as I'm driving here, we're family, we're all in, in, in the truck, and we're driving here, and I happen to look at the rearview mirror, and in the rearview mirror, I see this brand new 2017 2500 Chevy Silverado HD. You know what I'm talking about? These things are beautiful trucks. It's got the LED lights, it's jet black, it's awesome. I'm looking at that thing, and I'm thinking to myself, man, I'd love to have that truck. I want my truck is trash. <laughs> that truck. And then like it hits me and I'm going, oh, stop it. What am I doing? Right? Uh, earlier, uh, a week or two ago, I remember I was I was I was out in my I was out in my kayak and I was paddling on the lake and doing some fishing out on my kayak. And I love my kayak. I love being out on the lake in my kayak and I'm driving out, you know, I'm driving, I'm actually paddling. And uh, that's what you do with the kayak. And so I'm paddling my kayak out there in this boat, this bass boat zooms by me, right? Like, you know, waves are kind of, you know, I'm kind of, you know, rocking back and forth my kayak. And so after I cussed at the boat when it went by, uh, just being honest. Uh, so like after it goes by and does that, like I, I think to myself, man, that's a beautiful boat. I'd love to have that boat. My kayak is trash. I want that boat, right? Like, and so like, that's what I'm thinking to myself. And then, but the whole time I'm going, oh, stop it. See, we do this consciously. We also do it subconsciously. I mean, we, we do, we're just constantly doing it. We're constantly comparing. We're comparing ourselves. I mean, think about this. How, how many times, you don't have to admit this, I mean, because I think it's true of all of us, but we've often compared, like, just image, right? We've compared body images. We've said, you know what? I don't look like that. I want to look like that. I wish that I looked like that. You know, why, why don't you know, we go to the supermarket, right? We see the magazines. You know, somebody lost 30 pounds in 30 seconds. And we're like, why can't I lose 30 pounds in 30 seconds? Like, I want to do that, right? Like, that's just, we do that. We, we, we do that. We compare, uh, we compare things, right? Possessions. You know, just like the, the, the truck. We, we, we do things like that. Like, we, we look at our houses and we, you know, look at our neighbor's house across the street. Like, I would love to have my neighbor's house or you know, different things like that. So we're constantly, whether it be consciously or subconsciously, we're constantly stuck in this comparison trap. And you see, in comparison, it, it typically works itself out in one of two ways. Comparison will work itself out either by saying, um, looking at something that we don't have, right? We don't have it, but somebody else has it. And we compare and we go, I don't have that, but I want that because that's better than what I have. Or... We do this thing where we say, what I have is better than what someone else has. And it tends to, to work itself out in, in one of those two ways. And so here's the thing. We can always find someone who has it better, but we can also find someone who has it worse. I can, I can always find someone who has it better than me. I can always find somebody who has it worse than me, whether it be about possessions or circumstances or life situations or, or whatever. Uh, I heard one pastor say it this way. He said this. He says, there is always somebody with a bigger herb. A bigger herb, right? A bigger house, a bigger truck, a bigger bank account, a bigger, better vacation. You know, like all this. We can always find somebody with a bigger herb. See, comparison, by definition, is simply the disordered desire for approval and validation. 
So if you're looking for like a, a, a definition of, of comparison, it's the disordered desire for approval and validation. And ultimately, comparing, comparing is all about identity. And it's all about competing for identity. See, comparison, it almost always leads us to projecting ourselves as someone that we're not to be someone who we want to be. See, because when we compare, what we do is we, whether it be just our, our image, ourselves, or what we have or don't have, what we're saying is we're saying, I don't have that, and so I need to have that to make me this. It's comparison. The number one fuel for comparison is social media. You know this. Like maybe you didn't know this, but once you think about this, you'll know this. Social media is the, the biggest fuel for comparison because here's the thing about, and I'm not knocking social media, I love social media, whether it be Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, Snapchat, whatever it is that, that you're on, right? It's, it's all about an image, right? Like we, we post things so, because here's the thing about uh, Instagram, Facebook, that those things, like we rarely post like real things. And like we post real things, but I mean like we rarely post like what's really happening, right? Like we only post the highlights of life. You know what I'm talking about? It's like when vacation is awesome, we get on and we post great pictures of vacation. When the food is awesome, like you're not snapping pictures of Hamburger Helper when it turned out wrong, right? No, you're doing like the good stuff, right? The really good stuff, the stuff that took time and energy and effort to make or, you know, an expensive meal or different things like that. None of us are posting pictures of ourselves in our jammies at 11 o'clock with a face mask on, right? We're not doing that. We're not doing that. We're posting Beautiful things, highlights of things, great things, and we're posting these pictures. And here's the thing, here's why I say that social media is the number one fuel for this. University of Pittsburgh, they did a study last year. They did a study that showed that the more a person uses social media, like Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, whatever, the more a person actually uses social media, the more likely they are to have feelings of depression and envy. You know that, right? Because you feel that. Because you do that. We do that, right? We get on Facebook. We start scrolling through everything. We look at everybody's great day that they had, right? Like yesterday, if you had a tough day yesterday, if you were at work or you were at home, you weren't feeling good, and somebody else, they went on, you know, some adventure, you know. You didn't get to hashtag wanderlust yesterday. You were, you know, stuck at home cleaning up snotty noses yesterday, right? And so, like, you're, you're ticked off, and so you feel bad about yourself. My life stinks. Look at their life. Like, I don't want to do what they did. Why are my kids not as good? They're, look at what, like, you. maybe you got up this morning, you opened up Instagram, right? You saw some mom got breakfast in bed, you know, eggs and bacon and flowers, and their kids brought it to them, and you're trying to figure out if you got milk for cereal, right? That's what, that's, that was your happy Mother's Day, right? It's like, my kids, they... You know, so like, you want to trade them up? So you feel bad. You feel envious. You feel depressed. Why? Why is that? Well, according to this study, this is what the study said. It says the exposure to highly idealized representations of peers on social media elicits feelings of envy and the distorted belief that others lead happier, more successful lives. Distorted belief. It's a distorted belief. You see, because what we don't realize is that it's fueling comparison in us, which makes us fall into this comparison trap. It makes us fall into this 
comparison trap. You see, Andy Stanley, he is a, uh, he's a pastor and um, a writer uh, in, in the Atlanta area, and he said this about comparison. He says, there is no win in comparison. There is no win in comparison. There is no win in comparison. So as we open up the scriptures, we open the Bible, we can see uh, different examples of, of comparison and, and envy and how this begins to play out and, and see that there really is no win in comparison. So a couple of examples real quick, and we'll jump into our, our scripture in John chapter 21. But um, you think about the story of, of Cain and Abel, right? You have two brothers. Uh, both were uh, both were blessed. Both were given something, right? And 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 they have these things. And the, the uh, Cain looks at Abel, and, and he sees the way that God blessed Abel, and he looks at that, and he's like, "I want that. Like, why didn't I get that? Why don't I have that?" And what it led him to was for Cain to actually murder his brother Abel, killed by comparison. It actually starts a little deeper than that. We'll talk about that here in a few minutes. Not only that, uh, but there's another one. In fact, uh, the Bible talks about uh, the byproducts of comparison. Things like envy. Things like lust. Things like uh, coveting. In fact, uh, one of the Ten Commandments, one of the Ten Commandments is a commandment that says, don't covet. That means don't want what somebody else has because you don't have it. In fact, it says this in Exodus chapter 20, verse 17. I'll read it to you. It says this. It says, you shall not covet your neighbor's house. Let's stop. How many of us have ever done that before, right? Amen. Let's be honest. I know this is church. We don't do that often, but um, let's be honest for a moment. We've, we've probably all done that, right? Like we've driven through neighborhoods and driven down streets and been like, I'd like to have that house. Right? I want that house. My house is trash compared to that house. Like, I just want that. Like, so we start doing those things, right? We start rolling through Sequoia Hills, you know, and, and checking everything out, you know, going on the on the dogwood trail and all that stuff. And you're just like, oh, I don't want that, right? Well, it says, you shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not want what you don't have. This is the way it says next. It says, you shall not covet your neighbor's wife. That's good advice. You shall not, uh, you shall not uh, covet uh, your neighbor's wife or his male servant or his female servant or his ox or his donkey or anything that is your neighbor's. Now, if you have the King James versions of this, that donkey word makes this text sound really weird. So, don't uh, get that. Uh, so, what does the scripture say? Don't want what you don't have. Don't want what you don't have. And so, let's look one more. Let's look. Let's. If you have your Bible with you, John chapter twenty-one. We're going to look at a piece of scripture here, uh, a story that really I, I think uh, paints a really good picture of this for us. The scripture will be on the screen back here behind me, or. Uh, open up new version and follow along with us there. John chapter 21, let me set up what's going on here. Jesus is, uh, he has been crucified, he is resurrected, uh, he has appeared to many of the disciples and the apostles and to a lot of others at this point. And so Jesus, at, in John chapter 21, he's on the bank of uh, the Sea of Galilee and he's hanging out and he's having a little fish breakfast. He's cooking breakfast, he's got a fire going, he's got breakfast going, and the disciples, they don't know that Jesus is on the shore, but they're out in the boat, they're hanging out, they're doing some fishing, they're out there. Jesus has a conversation with a, with a few of them. Peter finally figures out, oh, that's Jesus. And so Peter jumps out of the boat, swims to shore to where Jesus is at, 
And then the rest of the disciples come up in the boat. And so Peter and Jesus, they sit down and they begin to have this conversation. And maybe you remember this, but Jesus is talking with Peter and he, he looks at Peter and he says, hey, hey Peter, um, do you love me? And Peter says, well, of course I do, Jesus. And so Jesus says, well, feed my sheep. And then Jesus says again to Peter, he says, Peter, do you love me? And Peter is like, I just said that I did. Yes, I love you. I do. And, and so Jesus, again, gives him another instruction. And then a third time, Jesus says, Peter, do you love me? And Peter says, for the love of you. Yes, I love you. Yes, I love you. And so Jesus begins to explain to Peter. He says, he says Peter, and I'm paraphrasing here. You can read it for yourself. But it, Jesus says to him, he says, hey, things are about to get really tough. Things are about to get really, really, really tough, particularly for you. And so Jesus says, walk with me for a moment. So Peter and Jesus begin to walk. This is where we're going to pick it up. John chapter 21, verse 20 says this. It says, as they're walking along, it says, Peter turned and he saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them. Now, stop for just a second. This is the book of John, which means it's written by uh, the Apostle John, okay? So John is actually writing these words. Listen to the words that John writes. Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following him. John has described himself as the one that Jesus loves. I always find that a little funny. But, so... Peter's walking, Jesus is walking, John is following behind, and it says this, it says, The one who also leaned back against him during the supper and said, Lord, who is it that is going to betray you? When Peter saw him, he said to Jesus, he said, Jesus, um, what about this guy? See, Jesus, again, just told Peter, he said, hey, things are about to get really tough on you. In fact, really, really bad for you in particular, and so Peter wants to know, hey, what, what about that guy, the, the one you love? What's going to happen to him? And Jesus said to him, he says, if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. So the same spread among the brothers that this disciple was not to die. Yet Jesus did not say to him that he was not to die. But if it is my will that he remains until I come, what is it to you? So Peter asked Jesus, he says, so I'm about to, like, it's about to get really bad for me. Why is it not going to get really bad for him? Like, what's going to happen to him? And so Peter begins to stack himself up to John. He's, he begins to compare himself to his, the, the two situations, but they begin to compare himself to the other. And Jesus says, don't worry about what I have in store for John, you just keep your eyes on me. Don't worry about what I have for him. Don't worry about what's going to happen to him. He says, you follow me. In other words, Jesus says, stop comparing. Look at me. Stop comparing and look at me. You see, comparison, comparison, if we're honest, it's an issue that we all deal with. Again, whether consciously or subconsciously, we are all literally digging ourselves out of the comparison trap, sometimes on a daily basis. And so how then, how then is comparison defeated? How, how then is comparison defeated in us? Let's look at this real quick. Psalm chapter 37, starting in verse 1. 
Psalm 37, verse 1. There's a couple of things here that the writer of this psalm uh, draws out that, that we can look to, that we can uh, reorient ourselves to, that will help us deal with the comparison track through Jesus. It says this, Psalm 37, verse 1. It says, Fret not yourself because of evildoers. Be not envious of wrongdoers. And so the psalmist says, hey, don't want what they have. Don't want what they do. Don't worry about them. It says, for they will soon fade like the grass and wither like the green herb. Trust in the Lord and do good. So here's one thing, and we'll, we'll unpack them all. Trust in the Lord and do good. Secondly, dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him, and he will act. He will bring forth your righteousness as the light and your justice as the noonday. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Fret not yourself over the one who prospers in his way, over the man who carries out evil devices. Trust, delight, and commit. Trust, delight, and commit is what this psalm says. This is what will help dig us out of the comparison trap. So in verse 3, it says to trust in the Lord. Let me read it to you again. It says, trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness. And so we have to trust in the Lord. We have to trust Him. So what is it then that, that we're trusting? It's simply this. We need to trust His promises. We need to trust His promises. Do you know that God has promises for you? That He's made promises for you that are, that are for you and I? We have to feed our soul these promises. I say this often because I believe that it's absolutely true. Sometimes, you and I, we need to preach to ourselves. We need to preach to ourselves. We don't need to wait until we come in here on a Sunday. We don't need to wait until we can fire up a podcast. Sometimes we just need to preach to ourselves. And sometimes what we need to preach to ourselves is we need to preach to ourselves the promises that God makes to each one of us. Promises like this. I'm going to give you a lot of scripture here. Uh, you can you don't have to turn to all of these. They'll, they'll be right here for us. But it says a promise like this. Jesus chose you. And appointed you. John 15, 16. You did not choose Jesus. These are his words. He says, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you now. That's an amazing promise. Do you hear what that promise says? It says that... It, if you don't feel worthy enough of the Lord, that's okay because it's true. You're not and neither am I. Which means you didn't choose him, he chose you. That's what Jesus said. He says, I didn't, you didn't choose me, I chose you. And that's good news for us. That's a good promise for us. When we start to feel bad about ourselves, when we start to feel, feel bad about our placement with the Lord, about where we stand with him, as if we can self-select out, Jesus says, no, 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 I chose you. Secondly, here's another one, Hebrews 13, 21, that God will equip us. You ever felt like you don't have what it takes? You ever felt like that, that the, the task or the, the life that God has called you to, you ever felt like that you were unworthy of that or that you just don't have the ability to do those things? Well, here's the promise for that. God will equip you with everything good that you may do his will. Now, we can stop right there, and that would be amazing. 
Because one of the things, in fact, I preached on this last week at Mission Church, is about how can we know what the will of the Lord is. It's like if you know what God's plan and purpose for your life is, and you feel inadequate to be able to do that because you don't have the skill or the ability to be able to do that, God says, hey, that's okay. Congratulations. Now you know you don't have what it takes, but that's okay because me in you gives you what it takes. He says, I will equip you. Everything good that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be the glory forever. Amen. So that's a great promise. Another promise that he gives us, another promise to, to feed our soul that when we begin to, to fall into the comparison trap, one uh, about how God sees our heart and not our appearance. First Samuel 16, 7 says this. It says, but the Lord said to Samuel, do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature. Amen, Lord Jesus. I feel that and receive that. Because I have rejected him. That's right. All the tall people just got rejected. No, it's not what he says. But I'll do that. So it says, I have rejected him. It says, for the Lord, listen, it says, for the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks out on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. So anytime we start to, to compare ourselves to others image-wise, now God is saying, you know what, I'm not, I'm not looking on the outside here. I'm looking at what's going on in the heart. I'm looking at the condition of your heart. I'm looking at, at what's happening on the inside, not what's going on here on the outside. Now, that doesn't mean that, you know what, if you go to the gym and choose to eat healthy and choose to eat right, that that's wrong and that you're altering what God has done. That doesn't, that doesn't necessarily mean that. What it, what it means is, is it means that God is saying to us, hey, here's what I find most important. It's not what you are comparing yourself to. And that's a good promise for us to feed our souls. And then here's another one. God will complete the work that he began in us. Philippians 1, 6 it says, and I'm sure of this, that he who began the good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. I love that. I love that promise because when you feel like that you don't have what it takes, when you feel like that you're not getting there yet, when you feel like that you're never going to get there, and maybe somebody else beat you to it, somebody else has done it better, God is saying, I'm not done with you yet. Stay in the game. Stay in the game. And then the greatest promise of all, Jesus will always be with us. Matthew 28, 20. When Jesus spoke to his disciples and gave him, them sort of their marching orders to go and make disciples, the last thing that he said to them, he said this, he said, and I will be with you always until the very end. Until the very end. Great, beautiful promises that allow us to trust God. So we have to feed our soul these promises. Secondly, it says to delight in the Lord, to delight in the Lord. Listen to what the psalm says. It says, delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desire of your heart. So to delight means to, to celebrate. And so we celebrate instead of compare. Try this. In fact, uh, today, at some point today, you will be tempted 
to compare at some point. You'll be tempted to slide into the comparison trap at some point today. And so instead of doing that, delight, feed yourself, the soul, feed your soul the, the promises of the Lord, and then celebrate instead of compare. Let me give you an example of that. It's like when you see something that you're tempted to compare yourself to, celebrate what God has given to you. Right? And so if you're tempted to compare your house or your car or your kids or, you know, whatever, you know, whatever it is. And come on, let's all be honest, parents. We compare our kids to other kids all the time. No, we, we do that. Let's be honest. And so, like, when you're tempted to do that, celebrate what you have. Celebrate what God has given you. Celebrate those things. Uh, this is something that has become really, really important for me because as a pastor, sometimes I get tempted to fall into the comparison trap of church comparison. Can I, can I be honest with you guys for a minute? Sometimes I look at our church and go, man, our church, that other church, man, they're growing faster than we are. Or they, they, they've got a bigger budget than we have. Or they, man, their people are awesome. And ours, no, I'm just kidding, I don't do that. But, <laughs> I'm just kidding, I don't do that. But I, I look at, I, I, I do, I, I look at, I, you know, I get on social media and I get on Twitter and everybody's like, 500 people baptized today. And I'm like, we baptized too. I feel bad about myself. Why? That's stupid, right? And so here's here's the thing that here's the thing that has really helped me is instead of feeling bad about myself, feeling bad about my leadership, or feeling bad about my ability to preach and all of these other things that I'm, I'm tempted to do, I celebrate it instead and just say, "Man, God, that is awesome." That's so good. Look at what you're doing there. Look at what you're doing here. And then I think about what God is doing here. And it may not be grand and huge and big as like thousands and thousands of people, but that's okay. It doesn't matter. Here's what matters is that God is doing something. That God is doing something. And I can celebrate that and I can live in that. So delight in the Lord means celebrate, don't compare because there is no win in comparison. There is no win in comparison. And then finally, lastly, it says, the psalmist says to commit. It says, commit your way to the Lord. Trust in Him, and He will act. Another way to say this is to simply say this. The only way to commit is to repent. The only way to commit is to repent. There's a whole lot of rhyming in this uh, sermon today. The only way to commit is to repent. Now, repent, this is what repent means. It means to turn away from, so we're talking about comparison, turn away from comparison, pride, envy, Coveting, turn away from that and turn to the Lord. That's what it means to repent, to turn away from and to turn to. And so the only way to commit is to repent. And so I'm going to turn away from comparison. I'm going to turn away from the pride. I'm going to turn away from coveting. I'm going to turn away from envy and jealousy. And I'm going to turn to the Lord by delighting in Him, celebrating what He's doing, celebrating Him, and trusting in the promises that He's given us. And that's how the comparison trap is defeated in us. We delight, or we could, we uh, trust, we delight, and we commit. We trust, we delight, and we commit. Only in Jesus. Only in Jesus. Um, I'll tell you this story as we, as we close this morning. But uh, there was this story that I heard not too long ago. It was about this crow. This crow that uh, lived near a zoo. And the crow decided that 
you know, like he never wanted to, to fly down into the zoo because every time he looked at all of the animals in the zoo, he would just see all of the animals and think to himself, man, those animals, they, 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 they've got it good. You know, somebody like somebody's bringing them their food and, it's people come and look at them and ooh and awe at them. And so the crow never uh, flew down into the zoo. But finally one day, he decided, you know what, I'm going to go down into the zoo. And so he goes down into the zoo and he flies down and he sits next to this pond and, and this white, beautiful swan swims up. And the crow looks at the swan and says to the swan, Swan, you are the most magnificent animal in the entire zoo. Look at your white feathers. You're beautiful. You're gorgeous. You, you have to be the most magnificent animal in here. I wish that I was you. I mean, look at me. I'm, I'm brown and black. And I just, I, I'm not you. I want you. I want what you have. And the swan says to the crow, thank you. I appreciate that. I used to think that I was magnificent and beautiful too. And then I met the parrot. Have you met the parrot? You need to go meet the parrot. Because the parrot is beautiful. And the crow says, well, I have to meet this parrot. And so the crow flies off and he goes to the parrot. And he finds the parrot. The parrot is, you know, decked out in all of its colors, the blue and the yellow and the red. It's this beautiful parrot. And the crow says to the parrot, he says, Parrot, I just saw the swan, and the swan, I thought the swan was the most beautiful, magnificent animal in the entire zoo. But he said, go see you, and he's right. You are the most beautiful, magnificent animal in the entire zoo. You're amazing. And the parrot says, well, thank you. I, I appreciate that. I used to think that, too. I used to feel pretty good about my situation. But then, well, then I met that jerk, the peacock. And the peacock, he didn't say that. He said, I just met the peacock. I met the peacock, and the peacock has these beautiful feathers. Like, he spreads his tail out, and there's all of these feathers, and it's big, it's beautiful, it's magnificent. You have to go meet the peacock. So the crow flies off. He finds the peacock. When he finds the peacock, he swoops down, and the peacock is in its enclosure, it's in its cage, and he begins to tell the peacock, he says, I saw the swan, and I thought it was the swan, and then I saw the parrot, and I thought it was the parrot. But the parrot said, come see you, and you're beautiful, you're magnificent, you're the most beautiful animal in the entire zoo. Look at your feathers and your colors, and I want what you have. I wish that I was you. And the peacock says to the crow, well, that's funny, you see, because I see you every day flying over the top of the zoo with, you know, your feathers and you're flapping, and you're free. I'm stuck in this cage. <laughs> I wish I was you. You see, we can always find someone that we think has it better. We can always find someone to compare ourselves to. But there is no win in comparison. Philippians 4.11, Paul writes this. I'll close with this. He says this. He says, not that I am speaking of being indeed. He says, for I have learned, whatever situation, I am to be content. Whatever situation, I am to be content. Let's pray together. Father God, we thank you, Lord, for your word this morning. God, we thank you for how it has challenged me. God, I thank you for um, speaking deeply to my own soul about my struggle with comparison, God. God, I think we 
If we're honest, we all struggle with comparison, God. So help us. Lord, help us delight in you. Help us uh, trust the promises that you've given us, God. Help us celebrate, God, all that you've given us and done in us and all that you're doing uh, for us, God. God, give us the courage, God, to commit ourselves to you, to to turn away from from pride and envy and coveting, which leads to comparing, and turn to you, Jesus. It's only in you, God, it's only in you that we can find contentment for ourselves. It's in your name Amen. And would you stand to your feet and sing with us and worship and, and continue to, to just think through what your next step is uh, here today, whether it be uh, committing and trusting the Lord or delighting and celebrating all that he's done. We, we invite you to, to just continue to, to think through those next steps and, and to lay those out before the Lord and, and come and take communion with us uh, as you continue to do that. Uh, we have communion available here. It's the bread and the body of Christ that we have here every single week because we want to come to the table and thank Jesus for all that he's done, for all that he's doing. That's why we do communion every single week is because we never need to forget the sacrifice of Christ. So let's sing, let's pray, let's worship and take communion together.